0: Well, this morning, as we consider continue our summer stories, lessons we learned as kids, I want us to turn to a very familiar story, one you've probably heard many, many times in life, the story of Noah's Ark. Now, I have to tell you that Noah's Ark story and the massive worldwide flood that accompanies it, it stretches from Genesis chapter 6 through Genesis chapter 9, and I will not even begin to attempt to read all the chapters this morning in service. <laughs> We did get through Genesis 1 last week in one service in less than 30 minutes. It's like dominoes. In 30 minutes or it's free right here. Anyway, but we find this story happening about 1,100 years after the creation story. It's been uh, 10 generations that have come through the line of Seth. And you're going, 1,100 years, 10 generations. Those folks lived a long time. Yes, they did. They lived much longer than we do. But they lived a long time. And over this period of time, the lives of the people that God has created has multiplied greatly. But there's something else that has multiplied greatly. And that's sin. And God's about to deal with that issue. Uh, not for the last time, but for, the, for one time, He does. So we're going to drop into chapter six first, And I want you to see the passage. Verse 5 says this, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And then every intention of the hot, hot, the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And the Lord, catch this, regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of Of the Lord. So, first thing I want you to notice this is that God grieved over His creation. I've ever thought of God grieving. This idea of grief. We spent seven, eight, ten weeks this spring talking about grief. That God does the same thing. He grieves over His creation. We take this first step here. We find that. And as we considered last week, the world in which we live was created supernaturally and fantastically by God. He has intricately designed it. He has spoken into the world into the existence and called it good. Remember, on more than one occasion. Somehow, in the span of a mere 1,100 years, humanity has really devolved and created such a mess and sinful, mucky mess that we have really messed things up. In fact, humanity has so deeply depraved and so deeply messed up that God looks at the creation and says, Man, I wish I hadn't have done that. Wow. Can you imagine God looking at us and going, What a mistake I have made? But notice the reason behind his regret. It's the wickedness of people. And and ladies, you'd like to read that passage and get real literal there. and Say, oh yeah, the men were wicked. Uh, that's That's a broader word than that, okay? It's talking about all of us as humanity. All of us were evil. All of humanity. The intention of their heart was evil. We were looking for things that were wrong. And with the turn away from God, humanity has set themselves on a path to being far from God. And yet in the midst of all of this, one man, one man, Catches God's attention, Noah. He says, there he is. Now, was he perfect? No. But he was a man who had a heart for God. He says, I'm going to take care of him through this. So come on down to the next picture we look at, chapter 6. Verse 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all the flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them from the earth. He says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. You know, scholars have still not determined exactly what gopher wood is, but it's okay. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits, and make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above, and set the ark I set the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But God says, "I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you." So, we'll do a quick math count. We get eight folks. Are going to be saved. God has committed Himself to humanity's future. Even though the mess that the world has become is created by humanity, God says, I'm still committed to your future. God could have said at that point, He says, I'm just going to get rid of everybody and start over. Could God have done that? Absolutely. Could God have spoken new people into existence? Absolutely. Could He have spoken new creation into existence? Absolutely. Instead, God says, I'm going to take what I have and we're going to build a future. So then we come down to verse 13 and following. What we find is though God is grieving, He says, I'm still committed. Yeah, the world's a mess. Yes, sin is perversive. Yeah, pervasive, perversive. But God has not done, is not done with His creation. Amen. He's not done. He makes a declaration He's going to end all flesh due to the violence and He would further destroy the earth. His plan is to do what I call a holy do-over. You know, God's good at that. He gives us holy do-overs. Aren't you glad? He provides that opportunity. He wipes the slate clean is what his plan is. He's gonna make a fresh start of creation. And so Noah was commanded to do something he had never done before in his life. Build a big boat. If you ever had the opportunity to go to Kentucky and travel and see that, that, the recreation, recreation of that is, is simply amazing. I recommend it. It's an opportunity to understand more about this story. If you ever get the chance to go, go. Don't miss out on it. But this thing that he would create was something you'd never done. And what God was going to do was not create a new Adam, but was going to do a restart with Noah. And through this line comes all of us. And into the midst of this terrible news, though, we find the covenant. Look at verse 18 again. But I will establish my covenant with you. I will establish a covenant with you. I'm gonna make a commitment to you. I want to make a promise to you after this is all over and this is done. That things are going to be different. He was committed to humanity's future. He was not going to make just the way to be delivered, which he did through the ark. But he would make a way for us to relate to him as God. And he would make a secure future. So come down to chapter 7. Got to keep moving. We got eight points this morning. I get it. We're going to watch our time. We don't want to miss out on all the heat we can enjoy this afternoon outside. Yeah. Chapter 7. Noah was 600 years old you talk about Medicare or Social Security running out. 600 years old when the floods of waters came upon the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives went with him into the ark to escape the waters of the flood of clean animals and of animals that are not clean and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after six days excuse me, seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. And in the hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were open and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Kind of like our spring around here. It seemed to rain all the time. What God is depicted as doing is he releases a deluge. Sometimes we get the visual in our mind that, oh, it just rained a whole bunch and the world flooded. Oh, I think it was way more than that. It was way bigger than just a rainstorm coming from above. I believe what happened is the earth itself began to break up and the waters that are contained within it began to shoot forth and the whole world became engulfed in the water. So ark has been constructed by Noah. The animals have been gathered. The preparations are complete. The day of God's wrath comes and a catastrophic moment happens. I don't think we can even begin to imagine what it would have been like to be there as the earth came apart as the ground began to rise and fall and pitch and roll. We like to think we stand on solid ground. Have we ever been through an earthquake or not? But you discover real quick that the earth we stand on is not that solid. In this cataclysmic moment, what has been stable land is converted to a water-covered graveyard. And you have eight souls of Noah's family inside this ark. And outside are the multitudes of the people who were not inside the ark as they are wiped away in a flash. What a moment to be alive, to experience what they surely heard in that moment. Make no mistake, this was no natural calamity. This wasn't Hurricane Ike blowing up from the Gulf. This was God releasing waters. He broke it up. He set it loose. Where there were once plains, there are now canyons. Where there was once once a mountain, there's now a sea. God completely remade the world in that moment. I think sometimes we forget the amazing power of water until it comes. I love driving out in the western part of the country and seeing where they've cut freeways through hills. Have you ever, you know what I'm talking about when you go through there and you see the strata of the ground. And you'll notice it's not like this, but it's at an angle. I think that's evidence of God's catastrophic worldwide cataclysmic flood. You see the ground itself was shattered in that moment as God releases the deluge and remakes the world. Come on down to verse 20. And the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them fifteen cubits. By the way, that's about twenty two feet if you need some uh, uh, reference. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth and all mankind. Everything on the dry land and whose nostrils were the was the breath of life died you're going, oh, this wasn't a worldwide catastrophic thing, was it? I really believe it was. I don't think you can find evidence in the scriptures that it was some regional thing or some small thing. And then you start going, well, how do you explain all the different peoples around the world? Well, we're going to talk about that in a moment. But I want you to understand this is a catastrophic worldwide event where God cleared the earth. He says, we're restarting. All flesh that moved on the earth perished including birds that had no place to rest, included livestock that had no place to graze, including swarming creatures that had no safe harbor any longer. It included, sadly, all of humanity. The pinnacle of His creation was wiped out, save eight, on the boat. God cleared the earth as a result of us grieving His heart this action was a direct reaction to the sinfulness of humanity. Why did God do that? He waited 1,100 years. He waited for humanity to not be how we tend to be. And yet, what do we tend to do? Do the same old stuff again, don't we? Again and again and again. Do you know if the story stopped there, it would be pretty sad, wouldn't it? But look at chapter 8. But God, this is one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. But God did what? Say it with me. Remembered. Oh. Aren't you glad our God is not forgetful? And our God doesn't forget where we are and not know what was going on and where we are. and what's, uh-uh. He says, God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained and the water receded from the earth continually. And at the end of 150 days, the water had abated. And in the seventh month, on the 17th day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the 10th month. And in the 10th month, on the first day of the month, well, a lot of detail in here. the, The tops of the mountain were seen. And At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent forth a raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. So imagine with me a world covered in water. And alone, God, designed ark with eight people floating on the seas modern minds go oh that surely wasn't what happened is it you don't really believe that that literally happened do you let me tell you i do do i fully understand it i do not but i believe it god's word says it for roughly five months of living on crowded quarters, they had lots to do. But it would be another seven months before they could be allowed off the ark. What would happen to these people? They must be have thought that what was going on. Would we have deliverance or was our fate just delayed that we're going to be just like the rest? God remembered his people. God remembered. No, I cannot think of a more amazing statement in the Bible that God remembers his people. That's not to indicate that God had forgotten them. And he goes, oh, yeah, I remember them. No, he says, I've always been here. God stepped into the chaos of their lives with a perfect path forward. He says, I'm going to deliver them. I'm going to bring something great in their lives. And so he sends a wind to blow over the earth to aid the waters in subsiding. He closes the fountains of the deep that had been exploding just months before. He stops the rain from the heavens to their actions. And the water began to recede. while there was mass destruction on a scale that we can scarcely comprehend, it would not last forever. Why? Because God remembered His people. So how do you respond if you're Noah? Finally, we get to Noah again in the story. Look at chapter 8, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar, an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Guess what hadn't changed? Isn't that interesting? Interesting. The intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. And while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So with the boat coming to rest on a mountaintop, life would go forward. But Noah's response is to do what first? To worship. You think, well, that seems odd. Maybe they ought to get to building a house. Maybe they ought to start planting some crops. Maybe they need to get all those animals off the boat. God created you and me for one primary purpose. Do you know what that is? To fill up space in the world. No. For us to worship God. And Noah says, I'm going to do what I'm created to do. I'm going to worship God He created you and me to praise the Lord. He created you and me to come into his presence with singing and with joyful rejoicing and with understanding of his word. And he created us to praise God. And that's what Noah did. And his response to this worship, not only did God receive the pleasing aroma, you're probably going, so God was smelling their aroma. Don't get too literal there. I think it's more the attitude of their heart, the the, the, the actions of their lives. He's saying, that's good. That's good. And he says, I won't pro- curse the ground because of the, I won't strike down living. And I'm going to restore the earth and life will go on. Yes, there's going to be four seasons again. Yes, there's going to be the cold of winter. And yeah, we're going to have the heat of Texas summer too. And it's good. Because that's how God designed it to be. In other words, the natural order of life would resume. But first, Noah says, We're going to worship God. And then God commands them to do something. Look at verses uh, chapter 9, verse 1 and 7. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And then come down to verse 7. And you, and by the way, that the you in the Hebrew there is plural. It's not you personally, but you all. Be fruitful and multiply. Increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. And so what God does is He says, Hey, Noah, you and your sons, you got a job. Get busy rebuilding the world. You think, how in the world would they survive? How could they do this? It's amazing. Have you ever not mowed your yard for a month? How quickly things grow in the right season? You know, you can plant vegetable seeds and within just a few weeks have produce. You think, oh, yeah, it doesn't take years. It takes sometimes weeks, a month, for these things to rebound and recover. And it may seem unfathomable to you that out of three or four couples, all of the world's population comes into existence. But stop and consider with me. Do you realize in 1800, we finally crossed the first billion as a planet? 223 years later, we now have pushing $8 billion. I would say we're fairly prolific. And out of God's command was a call to reproduce prolifically, to fill the earth and the creation, and His work continues. And then we get the covenant. Look at verse 8 in chapter 9. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold... When God says, Behold, you better stop and listen. Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. Stop. Who is he talking to? All of us. Why? If you understand and believe God's word is completely true, all of us come from the lineage of this one family. You're going, Ooh, You know, we're all related, right? That's kind of weird to think about, isn't it? I know in Arkansas and West Virginia, it's a little less diverse than others, but, but here we, we, I was born in Arkansas and I I got a story I can tell you about that one. Anyway, he says, Behold, I'm going to establish my covenant with who? With me, with you, with us. And your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, every beast of the earth with you. And as many as came out of the ark, for it is every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you that I'll probably never do this again. He says, never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth, And finally, God tells us and tells Noah that he says, I have a covenant with you, a commitment to you that is not changing. He covenanted with his creation. The God of the universe says, I will never destroy the earth again in this man- manner. And I will work through this line moving forward to bring about the needed redemption of humanity. And while the earth has been reset... If you read the story close, you notice they carried one other seed with them that I wish they could have left, the seed of sin. It doesn't take much after the landing to find Noah abuses the blessings of wine, Ham mocks his father's nakedness, all kind of things go crazy, and we're headed right back in the same mess. So what do we do with that story? I, I, I think the first thing that just grabs me in this story, and, and you're going to think, oh, well, look at all the destruction. Look at all the terrible stuff. Look at all the mess. Look at the world being tore up and rebuilt and all this. Don't look at that. Focus instead on God. Because God loves us immensely. Immensely. I think a lot of us struggle with that concept. We think, oh, God doesn't like me. He doesn't like me. He really sure didn't love me, does He? Yeah, He does. God loves us immensely. He loves me. He loves you. When you look at the entirety of the Noah's story, it would be easy to focus on death and destruction, wouldn't it? You go look at all the stuff. and easy to turn in and key on the pain and the agony. But turn to God's perspective for a moment. He had created, if we believe the story we looked at last week, He had created... In six days, a world that was perfect. And when he was done, he said, "What? It's good." And then, what did we do? We messed it up. You say, "Oh yeah, that that, that Eve." No, no, no. All of us. We were all complicit in the acts of sin in the beginning. And we inherit that through our genome, through our lives. And we struggle with that every single day of our lives. And it doesn't go away. And you think, well, how could God love us? We're a mess. I'm here to tell you this morning, God loves you immensely. He loves you completely and totally. He created a perfect world. And, And not unlike the days in which we live, God is still patient with His people. See, God caused Noah to not only build a boat for deliverance, but it was also a warning. Do you realize that while Noah was building that big old boat, he was also speaking and preaching and teaching and saying, turn to the Lord. And what did people do? They mocked him. They didn't just ignore him. They made fun of him. They said, you're crazy. Yet God's love for humanity remains. Centuries later, later, Paul would write about the immense love and compassion of God. And he says this when he wrote to the church at Ephesus. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, catch this, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And to know what? The love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge. That you could be filled with His fullness. You think I can't grasp how big God's love is. You're right, we can't. But we can't acknowledge that it's huge, and it's immense, and it's massive, and it's real. Second, sin has serious consequences. Oh, I got away with that. Did you? I got away with that. Did you? God absolutely loves us, and His love is immense for us, but there still is a consequence for sin. Look back at the beginning of our story, Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the heart, the thoughts of the heart, were only continually evil. Any of you raise a kid that never made a mistake, never sinned? Huh, me either. And can I tell you something? I didn't have to teach them how to do it. They already knew how to do it, didn't they? It's in their hearts. It's in my heart. It's in your heart. It's in all of our hearts. It's what we deal with. It's the exer- serious, the the, the create, the reality of our our created being. He, what he was intended to be a loving relationship with Creator and created developed into a real mess, and people were running whatever way their wicked hearts desired, and they were living ruined lives by the choices made in the heat of the moment. And i got to tell you, there's no way holy God would let humanity run amok forever. Boy, there's a warning for this day today in there as well. And God eventually stepped in and said, enough. You know, there's a pattern of that in the Scriptures. With his own people, you know what they did, don't you? He says, I want you, to, I'm gonna create a people unto myself. He delivered Moses out of Egypt. He brought him into the promised land when Joshua's leading. And then he says, here's your wonderful land you can live in. It's a land of milk and honey. You'll have everything you need. And what did they do? They turned to pagan gods and worshipped idols. And he kept calling them back, calling them back. And finally he said, enough. See, God doesn't rush to that because He wants all to find repentance. He wants all to find forgiveness. But there's a truth that goes along with that that is this, that not everyone will find it. You say, well, I want everybody to go to heaven. So do I. But I'm here to tell you, not all people, not all dogs go to heaven. Over in Romans, Paul writes this. He says, for the wages of sin is death. Stop and focus on that first part for a second. What you've earned, what I've earned, is death. And if there was a period there, we'd be in really big trouble, wouldn't we? We'd be dead. But, however, there's good news. The free gift... Well, I got to be good, moral life, good. More, I got go to go church. No, no. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He gives it to us. All we have to do is receive it. Every single one of us has earned death, as in eternal death, because of our choices to sin. But God has made not a way, but the way for us to be forgiven in Christ Jesus. But without His intervention and in our repentance, we don't find it and then we are left facing the consequence of sin. One more thought. We are unforgettable. That's who we are. I won't sing it to you. As God's pinnacle of creation, and this is the part that really disturbs me about a culture that is buying into the thought that we're accidents of, crea- of, uh, of evolution. Is that if we forget that we are unique creations of God, we sometimes forget that God loves us and we forget that He cares for us and He won't leave us and won't forsake us. He's going to keep after us and after us and after us until it's too late. We are unforgettable. He will not forget us. He's going to keep coming after us until it's too late. He will not let you go unless you keep rejecting Him. I'm grateful for that. You know, God keeps coming after me when I'm stubborn. Huh. He comes a lot. He keeps coming after me when I'm hard-headed. He keeps coming after me when I'm rebellious. Listen to what Paul told the church at Rome about remembering God. It's a little lengthy, but just listen. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And listen. Listen. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate me. Make it personal. From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from God once we're there. But you got to have faith in Him. And you've got to come to the place where you trust Him. And you've got to come to the place where you've given your heart to Him. So my question this morning is real simple. Have you done that? Is it real to you? Or are you just hoping you're going to be all right and good enough to get by? These things are written that we may know the truth. And my prayer for you is that you know Him because while God promises never to flood the world again, He doesn't promise to not bring the end someday. Will you be ready or not? Father, we thank You for loving us. We thank You for the blessing of being in worship this morning and of worshiping a holy God. And our prayer, God, is as we take just a few moments to respond to however You're leading us. Well, there are many of us, it's just a, a personal decision to stay and and say, God, I need to be more committed to You. I need to get my life closer to You. I need to spend more time with You so I understand You more. Father, maybe there's someone who needs to make a decision public. We want to make that opportunity this morning. We thank You for loving us. We thank You for Your blessings in our lives. In Jesus' name.